This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Vaccination reality check. It's a monumental task and it's, uh, there are many months left to go in this. The number of available doses and who's actually getting the shot. COVID causes back-to-school anxiety. And receiving that information, such short notice, was very scary. Dozens of cases linked to a single school. And defending the COVID New Year's party. And at the end of the day, it's we were pushed up against the wall, and we had no option. Why this Vancouver restaurant was willing to risk it. You're watching Global BC. This is Global News Hour at 6. Good evening and thanks for joining us. Sophie is off tonight. It won't be long now and we'll start to see if British Columbians actually adhered to the provincial COVID-19 rules over the holidays or if infections are about to spike. Health officials released new data today for the last four reporting periods. We have 2,211 new cases over that time, bringing BC's total to 54,201. Sadly, we've lost 45 more people, which means 946 have now died from complications of the virus. 351 are in hospitals, 76 patients in the ICU. 45,229 are considered recovered, leaving us with 6,000 sorry, 6,823 active cases and 8,785 people in self-isolation. We'll bring in Keith Baldry now, who's live in Victoria with more on today's COVID-19 developments. Keith, break down the active cases for us here because there is some good news there. Yeah, some encouraging developments we've been seeing for some days now continued over the weekend. The numbers really weren't that bad. Uh, we were expecting since we had 683 on Friday, perhaps that was reflective of the behavior over Christmas. But the numbers were fairly down. Uh, not a lot of testing, so a little grain of salt there. But take a look at the active cases and the trend we've been seeing in just the last five days. Very encouraging. Uh, Fraser Health continues to have the most active cases, but they're down 860 in five days. Uh, Vancouver Coastal continues to be less than 1,000. Bit of an uptick in the interior, uh, the north and the and Vancouver Island up as well. The north is down, which is actually significant. They've been uh, tracking upwards with a number of hospitalizations down big time there as well. Our overall number of active cases, the lowest it's been since November. So it sh shows, I think, a lot of the health measures are working, but also our behavior is working. A point Dr. Bonnie Henry made today that we've got new habits now that we've developed in the pandemic uh, to keep ourselves safe and others safe around us. And she says, basically, stick to those habits at a critical time right now in the pandemic. What we know about resolutions is that by doing a little bit every day, it turns something new into a habit. And once you have that habit, it can become your success. We already know and have our COVID-19 protection habits. We've been doing it for a while now. So doing your part to protect those around you and yourself isn't new. But we all must keep going now. We know what can happen if we let down our guard. I encourage you, everyone, keep it up, keep it going. Let's make this year our year of success 
overcoming COVID-19. As I pointed out before, uh, if you get contract, contract uh, COVID-19, your symptoms usually show up five to seven days after you get the virus. So we'll know in the next couple of days what people were doing on New Year's Eve, because that'll be the five, six, seven day mark for tracking the virus in the daily case numbers. Hopefully not very high. If they're more than 600, 700 a day, that means people were gathering. Anything lower than that means people probably weren't. Mm -hmm. And again, the number of tests, too, will dictate yeah. the rate of positivity. And we'll take a close look at that, too. Keith, thanks very much. Well, since we got our first dose of the vaccines in the fight against COVID-19, B.C. has administered close to 27,000 vaccinations. That's just under 0.5% of our population. Aaron MacArthur has a look now at where we're at in terms of doses available and where we're headed. 27,000 doses since the first vaccine shipment in December. Just half of 1% of British Columbians have been inoculated against COVID-19. There are more doses that could have been given, too. More than half the vaccine in B.C. still sitting in freezers. We're scaling up to meet the vaccine that we have now, and then we need to expand from there. The rollout in B.C. is about on par with other jurisdictions in Canada. The challenges are twofold. The cold chain storage and transportation system was, up until now, untested. And the supply of vaccine has been unreliable. The provincial health officer says they're learning every day how to do it better. Logistics experts say these are issues that should have been dealt with already. I would say there was a lack of leadership, probably at the federal level, where there was not a comprehensive plan. Right? There was a lot of talk about procuring the vaccines, um, but there was much less talk how the vaccines are actually going to get sent out. By March, BC expects to have 792,000 doses delivered. But that barely covers the priority populations. In the first three months, the plan is to vaccinate approximately 260,000 seniors over 80, plus other groups, including the medical community, along with homeless and indigenous populations, long-term care residents, and other people living in communal settings like prisons. The scheduling of these priority groups will vary a little bit as we deal with additional outbreaks in our communities. The numbers to reach herd immunity are hard to grapple with. BC will need to vaccinate more than 4,000 people a day to meet its targets by the end of March. And then four times that many to have everyone in BC vaccinated by the end of September. Aaron MacArthur, Global News. And when it comes to the vaccination rollout on a national scale, some experts warn that we may not be able to reach our targets. Based on the current pace, one University of Toronto bioethics professor says Canada is off to a slow start and has fallen behind countries like the United States and the United Kingdom in vaccine distribution. According to an Oxford University-based organization, Our World in Data, the total number of vaccination doses administered per 100 people for Canada was 0.3 as of Saturday, and for the U.S. it was 1.28, the U.K. 1.39. Well, despite concerns about a possible post-holiday COVID surge, B.C. students and teachers returned to their classrooms today. Our province is a bit of an outlier for much of the rest of the country where back to school has been pushed back by a week. Richard Zussman has the latest. Back to school surprise. Receiving that information, such short notice was 
very scary. The information Henders is talking about is that on Sunday night, Earl Marriott secondary students were told almost 50 cases of COVID-19 were linked to five classes at the Surrey School just before winter break. The grade 12 students staying away until rules improve. I don't feel safe in the school setting right now and until something changes and, you know, some strict rules get in place, um, then I'll probably consider going back. The case is mostly linked to physical education classes. But Dr. Bonnie Henry says that doesn't mean gym classes there or anywhere else should be paused. We know that it's really important and that for some children, um, the, the physical aspect of, of uh, school is important in terms of their learning. BC students back in class today, a rarity across the country. Every province west of the Maritimes delaying the return of in-class instruction except for British Columbia. I'm not saying that schools are quote-unquote the driver of community spread, but I think we don't have enough information that there is an impact spread happening in BC schools. More than 40,000 people have signed an online petition calling for the extension of Christmas break, something the province turned down. Many of those parents concerned about the fact that BC's mask policy in schools is behind what we see in other jurisdictions. We're you know, doing much better in terms of the virus in some places and worse than others. And so it defies logic that we don't have the same mass policy that most other provinces had. And the teachers union adding that if the province won't consider the mask mandate, they should consider stricter regional rules, especially now with substantial community spread of the virus continuing in the Fraser Health region. Richard Zussman, Global News, Victoria. BC's top doctor is responding to concerns that the public is being kept in the dark about one of the province's deadliest long-term care home outbreaks. John Waugh has more on why the local health authority waited so long to release the most recent COVID case data and what it's doing to address a devastating situation. It is one of the areas hardest hit by the COVID-19 pandemic in this province. Outbreaks at long-term care facilities have been unrelenting leaving the families of residents worried about their loved ones. Much of that concern is now centered on Little Mountain Place in Vancouver. Reports that the deadly virus has spread here at an alarming rate have left some families with more questions than answers. Since Vancouver Coastal Health declared an outbreak at Little Mountain Place on November 22nd, it has been reported that 98 residents have tested positive for COVID-19 out of the 114 clients who live there. Reportedly, there have also been 38 deaths due to complications linked to the virus at the facility. It has been a, a very challenging outbreak. It's one of the ones that we know have been uh, incredibly lethal, one of the reasons why we have so many um, measures in place in long-term care and why we're focusing our vaccination on long-term care. Vancouver Coastal Health confirmed the number of positive cases and deaths as of December 29th and stated it would keep families updated directly. The health authority did add that it is taking measures to bring the outbreak under control, including screening and testing of staff and residents, infection prevention and control practices, and prompt isolation of cases. If there are communication issues, I'll be clearly looking at that. We'll look at that together to make sure that families always have the information they need and we'll have obviously have that discussion with, with health authorities. Families who have reached out to Global News have called the outbreak at Little Mountain Place a catastrophe. John Hua, Global News. Meantime, Fraser Health has declared an outbreak at a Chilliwack homeless shelter. 12 staff and 25 clients 
of the Portal Shelter on Yale Road have tested positive for COVID-19. They've all been told to self-isolate while vital harm reduction and other support services are being provided both on-site and remotely. Other staff and shelter users are now undergoing health screening and contact tracing. Tonight, the owner of a Vancouver restaurant fined for violating COVID-19 restrictions on New Year's Eve is defending his decision to break the rules. As Catherine Urquhart reports, cold tea owner Ron Chang is apologizing, but he also feels he had no choice. Inside Vancouver's cold tea restaurant, owner Ron Chang is busy doing damage control. On New Year's Eve, he was ticketed $2,300 for contravening the gatherings and events order. I understand why people are angry. We have no right to do what we did. It, w- it was wrong and we take full accountability for it. Vancouver police say they visited Cold Tea around 11 p.m. after receiving a complaint. They say there was a private party underway with no social distancing. Also, food and alcohol were being served past the deadlines imposed by our provincial health officer. VPD says there were 85 to 100 people in the room. There were exactly 38 people in here having a seated dinner. Unfortunately, I'm going to take responsibility and we did serve food and drinks past the allotted time. In addition to receiving the $2,300 fine, Cheng says he has received hate mail, his restaurant was egged, and he has infuriated industry insiders. And that sort of thing um, is so reckless, it puts the entire industry at peril. It, it, It actually hurts our credibility with government. And as far as we're concerned, that restaurant should be closed and fined way more than $2,300. Colty's owners say they want the public to know they're a new business and don't qualify for any government assistance. Their ability to survive the pandemic now more precarious than ever. We're suffering. We're, we're living uh, on a month-to-month basis because now my business is at jeopardy and my livelihood is at jeopardy. We are very, very close to being done. Catherine Urquhart, Global News. Vancouver police say in total they issued four $2,300 tickets on New Year's Eve. Global News reached out to other police departments around Metro Vancouver asking about their New Year's Eve call-outs. The Surrey RCMP responded to 29 calls for service. Seven of those were found to have some level of non-compliance, and in three cases, that $2,300 ticket was issued for large gatherings. West Vancouver police responded to one report to a gathering at a home where they found at least eight guests, and they issued a $2,300 ticket. And Delta police responded to five COVID-related calls, but no tickets were handed out there. Well, just as many parts of B.C. recover from the last winter storm, another one is bearing down. The weather over the weekend forced evacuations on Cowichan Tribe's land on Vancouver Island. It caused delays and cancellations of B.C. ferries, and it had officials urging people to stay away from swollen rivers and creeks. Well, now Environment Canada has issued more wind and rain warnings for Vancouver Island and a number of other coastal regions. B.C. Hydro is expecting power outages due to falling trees. Well, the problem when we have such uh, heavy rains 
with these uh, strong winds is the ground is so saturated. So in essence, the, with the ground being so saturated, the trees essentially walk out of the ground with the winds coming in from a non-traditional uh, direction. And it'll be making otherwise healthy trees fall over and come in contact with our lines. All right, meteorologist Christy Gordon joins us now with more. Christy, the storms haven't let up and we are not done with the warnings yet either, are we? No, we certainly aren't. And when we look at the last six days, Chris, this is actually the wettest stretch of weather that we've had in two years. And we've got storm number five on deck. That's storm number five in just seven days. So it's been one thing after another. Let me show you the warnings. So the most crucial really will be the wind warnings tomorrow. The ground is so saturated. We still certainly have more rain in the forecast, but it's these winds. So southern metro Vancouver, that's delta out towards Langley. We're talking about southeast gusts up to 70 kilometers an hour. Greater Victoria, Southern Gulf Islands, the intercoast gusts up to 90 kilometers an hour. So not only are we going to likely see power outages, but delays in the ferries. I understand there's already some cancellations. And you'll note a bit of green and white on this map. That means rain and snowfall warnings. And I'll show you how much snow the Sea to Sky Highway will get when I come back. All right. Sounds good, Christy. And to your point about BC ferries, uh, breaking news due to some adverse weather conditions. They have already announced they're canceling a number of sailings tomorrow between Tawasson and Swartz Bay. So if you are scheduled to take a trip to or from the island tomorrow, better check the BC Ferries website first. New property assessments are out. Homeowners across the province checking out how their fortunes have risen or fallen in a pandemic year, with one property standing out from the rest. Politicians cannot assert, take or seize power. The Donald Trump phone call that got President-elect Joe Biden all fired up coming up later on the news hour. And details of sweeping new restrictions in the UK with another lockdown there. Right now, though, with the new year comes the annual notice for homeowners telling them how their biggest investment is doing. The 2021 assessments are in the mail, available online as well. And as Ted Chernecki reports, most Metro Vancouverites can expect modest increases. Once again, Lululemon founder Chip Wilson's waterfront home on Point Grey Road tops the list at $66.8 million, up almost $2 million from last year. Similarly, nearby 4707 Belmont, $60.3 million, up a million and a half. In fact, just about all properties are up. We were a bit surprised ourselves. I mean, what we saw was a bit of a temporary standstill in April and May while the industry adjusted. Um, but the, the real estate industry adjusted quite quickly. Uh, you saw things like virtual showings become the norm. And once they adjusted, uh, the market recovered uh, quite quickly. Detached single-family homes were up 10% in Vancouver. From Burnaby to New Westminster, up 6 to 8%. The North Shore, up 5 to 7%. Squamish, up 10%. Whistler, 1. Pemberton, 8. Bowen Island, 9%. Incredibly low interest rates and demand for outdoor space are two reasons fueling the single-family home market. A third, the pandemic's pain isn't equal. Yeah, the economy has slowed down, uh, but it slowed down more at the bottom of the income distribution, which is really unfortunate as a social issue. Uh, but for house prices, if you want them to go up, it's a positive because uh, when you take money from people who wouldn't be able to afford and to own anyway and give it to people who can own real estate and can trade up, uh, that pushes prices up. 
townhomes and condos didn't fare as well, but still increased. From Vancouver to Poco, assessments up 3 to 4%. North Vancouver, 5.5%. The West Vancouver was zero, and Squamish and Whistler under a 2% increase. Surrey and Richmond, up 2 to 3%. Richmond, Delta, Langley, Abbotsford, 1 to 4%. 2020 was a, a better year for the residential real estate market than 2019 when COVID-19 wasn't even a thing. These assessed values are from July 2020 and don't reflect a further uptick in the market. Since July, the activity has shown uh, single-family homes have gone up about 6% in price, townhomes about 3%, and condos have stayed essentially flat. Experts warn that this pandemic is far from over and a sudden economic downturn is always possible. Ted Chernecki, Global News. Certainly not a fun commute for more than a dozen motorists in North Vancouver this morning. We have already uh, 12 vehicles that have flat tires this morning caused by this. You can see them all. That was the scene westbound along Highway 1 near the Fern Street overpass when a number of drivers slammed into a big pothole. And as you can see, they all ended up on the side of the highway, many with flat tires or dented rims. Repair crews were dispatched to the scene to fix the pothole and prevent any further damage. Coming up next, politicians pay the price for holiday travel. It's closed. The scandal that could cost the Premier of Alberta his job. And the poignant last shows of Alex Trebek hit the air with a new host on deck. Emergency crews are on scene to a crash involving a motorcycle here in downtown Vancouver. It's northbound on Burrard at Alberni. One lane is currently blocked. A message from Canadian Blood Services. Join the fight against COVID-19 by donating plasma. If tested positive for the virus and recently recovered, register now at blood.ca slash help. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above a motorcycle crash in downtown Vancouver. Charges have been laid after a man died following an alleged altercation with campus security at Trinity Western University in Langley last fall. 51-year-old Jack Crothers Hutchison is accused of one count of manslaughter in the death of 31-year-old Howard Glenn Hill. Homicide investigators say RCMP were called to the TWU campus on September 30th for a report of an agitated man involved in an altercation with security. When RCMP got there, the man was already unresponsive and died in hospital. Hutchison is set to appear in Surrey Provincial Court next month. Alberta Premier Jason Kenney has made an about face and members of his UCP government who traveled abroad over the holiday break are now facing the consequences. There are demotions and resignations, but will it be enough to quell the public outrage? Global's Tom Vernon reports. What a difference a weekend can make. This is Premier Jason Kenney on Friday when asked if he would sanction members of his government who traveled abroad over Christmas. I don't think it's, it's reasonable uh, for, for me as, as a leader to sanction people who uh, very carefully followed the public health orders. Albertans were mad enough about the trips to begin with, but that comment set off an even bigger wave of anger. Signs went up outside constituency offices. Resign Kenny became a top trend on Twitter. Three days later, in a post on Facebook, Premier Kenny changed his tune. Over the weekend, I have listened to Albertans who are sending a clear message that they want real consequences for these actions, the post reads. By traveling abroad over the holidays, these individuals demonstrated extremely poor judgment. The Premier says his Chief of Staff, Jamie Huckabee, has agreed to step down. 
Tracy Allard has resigned from Cabinet as Municipal Affairs Minister. Jeremy Nixon resigned as a Parliamentary Secretary, and Jason Stefan stepped down from Treasury Board. Tanya Fur, Pat Rain, and Tani Yao have all lost their roles on legislature committees. It feels like the announcement he should have made last Friday. Pollster Janet Brown says the scandal transcends politics and the public anger won't easily pass with time. Is he going to lose the election in two years? It's way too early to say. But the events of the last three days have definitely made it more challenging for him. The Premier is fielding criticism from across the political spectrum. The NDP say this is too little too late. They want the Premier to account for all of his MLAs and staffers. On the right, prominent Conservatives like Dave Rutherford also spoke out. I do hope that the UCP has realized that they have come out of touch with Albertans. Rutherford also took to Facebook over the weekend to express his disappointment and that the Premier's demolished his credibility. It's arrogant, demeaning, and immoral for elected representatives to thumb their lofty noses at the rabble, preaching to us from Hawaii, no less, to stay home and hunker down, he wrote. The demotions help, but he still wants to hear from the Premier through something other than a Facebook post. Get eye to eye with Albertans and sincerely apologize. Without reading notes, just staring us in the eye and saying, man, we blew this. Meaning Premier Kenny hasn't put this behind him just yet. Tom Vernon, Global News. Straight ahead, the tribute to a fallen officer. Calgary police and regular citizens remember Andrew Harnett. And what's next for the young man accused in his death? Also tonight, Georgia officials slapping down those wild claims by outgoing President Donald Trump. Still dealing with what's left of a multi-vehicle crash here in Burnaby, eastbound on Highway 1 under the Gallardi overpass. Two lanes of traffic are getting by and traffic is backed up right through the Burnaby Lake stretch. For 47 years, Kermat Collision and Autoglass has provided unmatched superior customer service and satisfaction. With 18 lower mainland locations, there's a Kermac in your neighborhood. Visit Kermac.com. I'm Trish Jewison in Global One, high above a crash on Highway 1 in Burnaby. We now have a new variant of the virus, and it's been both frustrating and alarming to see the speed with which the new variant is spreading. Our scientists have confirmed this new variant is between 50 and 70 percent more transmissible. British Prime Minister Boris Johnson announcing sweeping new lockdown measures for England that went into effect at midnight London time. Johnson says everyone in England must stay at home except for permitted reasons like grocery shopping or essential work. All schools and colleges will close so most pupils will have to switch to remote learning until the middle of February. The Prime Minister revealed the action in an eight-minute TV address after being told that COVID-19 cases are rising rapidly in every part of the country due to that new coronavirus variant. In Calgary today, dozens of first responders banded together to pay tribute to one of their own lost in the line of duty. A convoy of vehicles drove by police headquarters in honor of Sergeant Andrew Harnett, who was killed on New Year's Eve. Global's Jenna Freeman has the latest from the family and Calgary court, where the pair accused in Harnett's death made appearances. It is a city silently mourning the loss of Sergeant Andrew Harnett. Dozens of emergency responders pass by Calgary Police Headquarters, the trip that the fallen officer can no longer take. Just a small fraction of the lives touched by a colleague, a friend, 
who made the ultimate sacrifice. The family of Andrew Harnett, remembering the former military-turned-police officer who loved football, born in Ontario, he was a loyal Ticats fan, the organization tweeting today in his honour. The family saying Andrew couldn't have been more excited to be a loving and dedicated father, and now a piece of his legacy will live on as part of the CPS family. Harnett was killed during a traffic stop New Year's Eve. His family pointing out selflessness was second nature, saying he knew the risks of the job and showed up every day regardless. Andrew would have given everything for the police, and he did. Donations for a family fund now in place in memory of Harnett. On the same day of the touching tribute, the two accused of first-degree murder make their first court appearances separately. 19-year-old Amir Abdurrahman, the alleged passenger of the SUV that police say hit and dragged Harnett on New Year's Eve, will be back in court in February. We've uh, adjourned it now for a month so that I can obtain the uh, disclosure of the police file and the evidence to know something about the case and then decisions can be made after that. The youth appeared via cell phone. A bail hearing is scheduled for the 19th of January so the accused can appear in person. The defense is seeking for the 17-year-old to be released where the Crown says that it will oppose out of concern for public safety. Jenna Freeman, Global News. With only 16 days left in office, President Donald Trump is going full throttle in an effort to have November's election results tilted in his favor. But the move is further dividing his party. It risks ending a lengthy Republican stronghold in the Senate and raises concerns that Trump is playing into his own claims of fraud. Global's Reggie Cicchini has more. Watching four years of his presidency from the rearview mirror, Donald Trump is living a false reality. I won this election by hundreds of thousands of votes. But in a move that subverts American democracy, Trump was heard pressuring state officials in Georgia to change the results of the election. They pushed back on the phone and at the podium. This is all easily, provably false. They're making wild claims that, again, undermine people's faith in the system. The move more authoritarian than presidential, but steeped in conspiracy. For weeks, Trump has been consumed by his defeat, using bogus claims and rejected theories to remain in power. They are shredding ballots, in my opinion, based on what I've heard. It's led to a growing fracture in Trump's party, as some members steadfastly augment the president's argument. We've seen in the last two months unprecedented allegations of voter fraud. Citing non-existent fraud, several Republicans intend to object to the Electoral College certification of Joe Biden's victory. A futile effort, as House Democrats will get final say. The voters have spoken. The Electoral College has spoken. The courts have spoken. Trump's phone call is being seen by some Democrats as an abuse of power, and others have likened it to the Ukraine call that led to his impeachment, and are now asking the FBI director to open a criminal investigation. Politicians cannot assert, take, or seize power. Power is given. Granted by the American people alone. Neither the president nor the Republicans can prevent Joe Biden from assuming the Oval Office, but they can work to jam up the process and in doing so work to undermine the legitimacy of the Biden victory and create more distrust from Republican voters. Reggie Cicchini, Global News, Washington. A bittersweet finale for a beloved game show host. The host of Jeopardy, Alex Freeman. 
Yes, the final episodes of Jeopardy, hosted by the late Alex Trebek, will air this week, starting tonight and wrapping up on Friday. Trebek welcomed contestants over the span of 36 years and more than 8,200 episodes. He passed away in November at the age of 80 after a battle with pancreatic cancer. Next week, guest hosts will take the show's reins, starting with Jeopardy's all-time greatest player ever, Ken Jennings. In health matters tonight, a coalition of hundreds of scientists, doctors and engineers is demanding the government take airborne transmission of COVID-19 more seriously. The experts penned an open letter saying as cases continue to skyrocket, more attention needs to be paid to the air we're breathing indoors. Global's Dan Spector has more. Oh yeah, it is frustrating. For months, concerned Montreal parent Olivier Drouin has been among those trying to get Quebec to take action on airborne transmission of COVID-19. On Twitter, he shares info on outbreaks in schools alongside scientific studies. They talk about closed environment with lots of people and limited social distancing and bad ventilation. And I'm like, well, this is cool. I mean, certainly a number of teachers have brought it up as a, as a big concern. An open letter signed by 363 Canadian experts was published on Monday, addressed directly to federal and provincial health authorities. With cases rising fast, it demands leaders speak up on COVID-19 aerosol transmission. Small, tiny droplets that don't fall as a ball, but that, you know, go into the air as a smoke. The signatories are a who's who of medical doctors, researchers, engineers from across the country. They say even though the issue has recently gained recognition from the World Health Organization, Centers for Disease Control, the Public Health Agency of Canada, there has not been enough action or public health messaging from provinces. Kadir brings up how early in the pandemic, Quebec told citizens not to wear masks. scientific basis of public health is that when you're not sure, you act based on the principle of precaution. Among its 11 recommendations, the letter demands governments upgrade ventilation systems at schools and long-term care homes. It's like the vaccine. It's not going to be immediate uh, because we need to vaccinate at least 70% of, of the population. But if we don't start, nothing will move. Quebec's health ministry told Global News it is interested in aerosol transmission and will be receiving a pair of reports on the matter in the coming days before deciding what to do. Inspector Global News, Montreal. A dramatic rescue on Hawaii's North Shore. And I actually started to feel bad for filming. How he went from being cameraman to hero coming up later. And in sports, hockey is back at Rogers Arena with a training camp more grueling for some than for others. Well, a lot of folks are coming off the Christmas vacation, Christy, and I don't know if that's a good thing or a bad thing. It was nice to be inside on another <laughs> nasty day with more storms rolling in. Yeah, so thankfully, Chris, it looks like this will be the last of the series that we're going to see. We're still in winter, so there's still more, I'm sure, off in the distance. But overall, this stretch of weather, it looks like this could be the last one. But once again, the winds will be the main event. Let me break them down for you once again, looking at all these areas in red under a wind warning. The ground is so saturated, so there's definitely a concern for downed trees, power outages. And we've talked about the ferry cancellations and likely delays. Now let's have a look at the rainfall warning. It includes, once again, the North Shore, northeastern Metro Vancouver, potential up to 60 millimeters of rain by Wednesday morning and significant snow for Sea to Sky as well as Whistler, another 20 centimeters of snow expected throughout the day tomorrow.
uh, and also wind warnings for the central coast and north coast of Vancouver Island. So here's the timeline that I wanted to show you. So it rolls across the north coast and outer coast of Vancouver Island overnight and really starts to pick up across Vancouver Island in through the morning, early morning hours. But for Metro Vancouver and that inner coast, in terms of the winds and the rains, it picks up through the morning hours. We'll likely see the strongest through the afternoon. So definitely a commute home could be a tough go. Uh, you may want to give yourself extra time and certainly turn on your lights, everyone. Watch for pooling water on the roads and slow down. And then it means snowfall for inland regions as well. It finally eases off on Wednesday, but we still have some showers in the forecast. There's your rain distribution, far less for Delta, but those areas are going to see the strong winds. And it is still saturated despite the fact that you're seeing less rain in those regions. The strong winds are certainly going to be that concern. Again, late morning into the afternoon hours for those strong winds. These areas here will see rain later in the day, far less. The bulk of the rainfall falling across the south coast with the wind. Near seasonal values in terms of daytime high. And as I mentioned, the last of the more major storms. So showers expected Wednesday. Boy, some sunshine on Thursday. That would be nice. And so lighter amounts. Although we'll be watching the Friday storm. That one has some potential, but it's still a couple of days away. So at least a little bit of a break from the stormy conditions. This was tonight's sunset, believe it or not. A little bit of a break or a bit of blue sky or sunshine, I should say, uh, before the next one rolls in. Beautiful shot. All right, thanks very much, Christy. And after that wind warning or warning about wind, we'll stay with the wind theme with Squire and Sports because I'm sure a lot of those Canucks felt winded at the first day or what is it, the second day of, of training camp? Well, I guess officially second day, but the first day was just, you know, a lot of medicals. They didn't get on the ice. Today they got on the ice. Uh, and you're right. A Travis Green training camp is not easy, especially with all the bag skates on day one. We'll talk about the lines he had going, the pairings on defense, all of that coming up. All right, look forward to that. Thanks very much, Squire. And the rogue wave that nearly wiped out a woman's trip to Hawaii and her rescue coming up. participated in a bag skate and i'm glad never going to want to <laughs> here's squire with sports uh they are back the uh, canucks started training camp today at rogers arena two different sessions of players per day they'll have some intra-squad games but nothing beyond that uh jay janauer was down at the rink we got an early glimpse of travis green and what he is thinking in terms of the uh, opening day lineup with the Canucks NHL season beginning next Wednesday in Edmonton, not a whole lot of time for Travis Green and the Canucks to prepare for their 56-game schedule. No exhibition games means maximizing these week-long on-ice sessions. On day one, Travis Green had his number one line of Elias Pettersson, JT Miller, and Brock Besser intact. The Canucks' second line also looked familiar with Tanner Pearson alongside Bo Horvat. Joining them, though, was highly touted prospect Nils Hoglander, who looked very quick out here and every bit capable of stepping into the Canucks lineup. Yeah, he was great. I mean, um, obviously I didn't know too much about him, just saw him play World Juniors and a couple uh, highlight real goals. Um, but to actually skate with him um, you know, today was, was really good. He's sh you know, really fast, shifty, um, smart with the puck. So, um, no, it was really good to skate with him today. I came here with a uh, good self-confidence and feels... Uh, Way better to play with Horvath than Pearson. That's two really good NHL players, and uh, yeah, it feels good. On the blue line, newly acquired Nate Schmidt was paired alongside Alex Edler. Quinn Hughes partnered up alongside Jalen Chatfield, while Oli Ulevi skated with Tyler Myers. Yeah, I, I really liked how we played there today. Uh, I thought we had a good day together, and of course, he has a lot of experience, and 
I think uh, he's a really helpful guy to play with. When asked if we could read into his line combinations and defense pairings, Travis Green said yes. Bit of a rarity for the Canucks coach, who normally isn't big on divulging what his lineup may look like. We've got to make decisions. We're not just out there to skate and condition. We're out there to see how combinations look. We don't really have time for guys to dip their toe in the water. Busy few weeks to start the season. Canucks play back-to-backs three times in the month of January to kick off the 56-game season. First four games for the Canucks are on the road in Alberta beginning next Wednesday in Edmonton. Then they're off for a pair of games in Calgary. Vancouver returns home January 20th for a three-game set against Montreal. Covering Canucks training camp inside a chilly Rogers Arena, Jay Janor, Global Sports. Okay, this is getting to be um, a bit of a Canucks tradition. It wouldn't be the start of training camp without a discussion surrounding Jake Vertanen. Today, Vertanen, who was thought to be in the running for one of the top six wing positions now that Tyler Toffoli is gone, didn't skate with the top two lines. And Travis Green was basically saying, if Jake is to play that high up in the lineup, he better do something about it. I didn't put Jake up with PD or Horvat because I have Besser and Hoglander there today. And as far as Jake goes, it'll be up to him to decide where he plays, whether it's first line, second, third, fourth. And uh, for us, it's not about what's best for Jake. It's about what's best for the team and how that looks. He knows that as well. It's, it's all about winning and it's not just about one player where he plays. You know, Obviously, I'm just going to try to work hard and, and earn a spot in the top six. And like I said, we just got to reset and be ready for tomorrow, whatever we have. Canada, this kid's been good. Devin Levi against Russia. Semi-final action, first minute, former BCHL star Alex Newhook. The shoulder's better, and he scores the first goal to make it one nothing. Then, uh, Yaroslav Askarov, the Russian goalie, has lost his stick. He gets a defenseman stick, but it doesn't matter. Connor McMichael's wide open, and it's 2-0. Canuck prospect, Vasily Podkolzin, smacking Vancouver Giants defenseman Bowen Byron with his stick. That's a four-minuter. Canada on the power play. Cole Perfetti. As they throw it around, now turns, looks, shoots, scores for Canada. That's all in the first period, too. Then Askarov loses his stick again. This kid needs some stick-em on his blocker. 4 nothing for Canada. Braden Schneider with the goal. Take another look here. Yep, you're not going to stop those. Well, a glove hand would have helped a little bit, but uh, you need your stick as well. 5 nothing the final. Canada plays the U.S. or Finland uh, in the championship game. Why do the Seahawks love Russell Wilson? Here's a reason. Instead of kneeling down yesterday, he threw a shovel pass to David Moore, meaning Moore got yeah, so, 35 uh, catches this yeah, year. I called that play because uh, David had $100,000 if he gets, gets that catch. So, uh, you know, it's a blessing to be able to you know, help his, his family and you know, his daughter and all that stuff. So that's um, it's part of the game. We wanted to get him that catch. And so um, we were able to dial that up for him that last play. Pete Carroll had a bit of a reaction, like, what just happened? And then someone told him, I think it's so David could get his 100 grand. So it's like, oh, okay. 
You know those guys are keeping track of those things for sure, even right down on the field. All right, here's uh, Jay Durant with a preview of Global News at 11. Jay? Thank you, Chris. We'll have more tonight on how closely British Columbians may have followed COVID rules over the holidays. Our province averaged about 552 new cases over the past four days, which is consistent with what we've had over the previous few weeks. By comparison, Ontario had almost 3,300 new cases today and Quebec more than 2,500. And there's been another skiing fatality in BC. A 57-year-old woman was killed at Big White over the weekend. Details on those stories and more when you join us tonight at 11, Chris. All right. Thanks very much, Jay. And when we come back, a professional surfer shows he's got some life-saving skills, too. That's next. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust, or is it a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. A professional surfer is being credited with a daring New Year's Eve rescue in Hawaii. Mikey Wright fearlessly dove into the ocean when he noticed a woman swept away by a big wave. The challenging rescue caught on video. 24-year-old pro surfer Mikey Wright asked a friend to hold his phone and his beer and made a run toward the pounding surf on Oahu's north shore. Oh, no! He initially began recording a group trying to help a woman caught in a 15-foot swell. She had been out on the rocks when the surge snapped her up. I realized, well, this is actually really dangerous, and I actually started to feel bad for filming. Wright dashed into the water while his sister Tyler, also a professional surfer, helped steer the rescue from the shoreline. It's really important when it comes to ocean safety and rescues to when someone goes in to have someone kind of direct on the beach because situations can change instantly. Wright is seen struggling a little when he first enters the water, but was confident he could save the woman. When I got to her, I just said, hey, we're, we're going to be okay. Um, you know, we're going to get in and, um, you know, it's, you know, it's okay. Um, you know, I said, don't, just don't let go of me and, and we'll be okay. The Wrights say the woman appeared to have no major injuries. I think she was just very, you know, very thankful and, and um, also at the same time in a little bit of shock. Wright was praised for his heroic efforts, but says the real reward was seeing the woman safely reunited with her family. Elise Preston, CBS News. Nice what is, boy, all of them. And what is the moral of the story here? Tell don't, us. don't judge a man by his mullet. <laughs> That's right, Mikey Wright, the hero with the mullet. <laughs> Uh, Okay, Christy, we'll uh, let you wrap it up here with a look at the weather as we head into Tuesday. 
Thanks. So wind and rain warnings all across the south coast for Metro Vancouver. It will develop through the morning hours and intensify as we head into the afternoon hours. So uh, watch for delays, uh, certainly on the roads and be careful out there. And we certainly have some cancellations in the ferries al already. Lots of them tomorrow afternoon. So if you're going on a ferry, check the website. Thanks for watching, everybody. Have a great night.